So this is the part where you hit the intro music? No, I don't have the intro. You've got the studio. I don't have the studio today. I don't have the you so now you're talking over the intro music. Oh shit. Is it Wait, can we go back? No, we can't go back. Just got to go on. Oh, How's everybody well, doing out there? Wait, oh. we don't normally talk to the audience like that either. Yeah. Uh, call. The lines are open now. Uh, what is your number? That'd be fantastic. Uh, so, folks, what you're hearing is uh, usually you got to pay money for this. This is yeah. uh, Stephen and Carter present. Wait, Stephen and Stephen, Corey? No, Corey and Hogan. Anyways, Corey. it's the two of us and it's not Zane. And this is sometimes something we do when Zane's not available. There has been at least one occasion where I wasn't available too. Stephen, always available. Amazing that way. We've always yeah. really appreciated that about you. No life, uh, nowhere to no. go. Uh, but, you know, we should say right off the bat, the reason why it's the only, the two of us here on the main, we've never had this on the main feed is because uh, actually there was a very sad event that happened in Zane's family. His father, Nizar Velji, died last week. And so Zane is taking, understandably, a beat before he joins us again here. Um, we're going to miss him. He was a number one fan, always showed up at all of our stuff. Mm -hmm. Somehow liked Steven, which um, best, yeah. does call into question a lot of things. Shows his taste. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, heart goes out to Zane, Zane's family. Yeah, a really special relationship between Zane and his family and his parents. Uh, it was fun to watch. We were lucky enough to see him get married. Was that five years ago now? unbelievably yeah it was uh, yeah. and the uh camaraderie in the family was spectacular and I remember them making fun of you mostly um it's as the event progressed really kind of outrageous but yeah. um also understandable my daughter was at uh zane's wedding and just got covered in chocolate it was a very very hot day and just looked like she was like plumbing in a sewer by the end of it all it was pretty cool yeah yeah. Uh, anyways, that's not really the point of any of that. Um, well, what's up? What we, do you want to talk about? Well, I just want to say we miss Zane and uh, we wish him the yeah, best. Other than that, sure. that's, I think that was the whole show. I don't have anything else. <laughs> I put some stuff together here. Should we, should we just part. stick? Should we, should we just jump right into Quebec goes to the polls and it's all over? Why bother doing an election? Oh, uh, sure. Do you want to talk about the Quebec election? Do you, do you know anything about the Quebec election? I guess that's the first thing I'll I've ask. I've been following you. the polls. Uh, and I've been following some of the, well, you know more than I do. So why don't you set up the uh, French election? Because you can read French and you can it's speak French. We true. should do the segment in French. I really don't think we should. Um, I don't. <laughs> we, no. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I always think Quebec elections are interesting. They're my, they're my favorite elections to watch uh, absent my own provinces. Because, of course, you're always invested in your own provinces. But I love Quebec elections. I really do. Because they they follow a different beat uh, than elections in the rest of Canada, usually. And there's a few things about Quebec elections that are second to none. The aesthetics of Quebec elections are amazing. The design work is incredible. The yeah. ads are legitimately good advertisements. And I think part of that comes from Quebec having more of a cultural scene. And, and you imagine when you're buying an ad on any of the Quebec television stations, there's going to have to be creative shops in Quebec that are producing that that's not so much true here in alberta for example yeah. you're probably going a bit further afield um anglo canadians we tend to rely a lot on the product that comes out of the united states 
really top shelf stuff, really amusing ads, um, both in the lead up and during the election. And also like their election signs are different. Their whole aesthetic, their whole vibe is pretty cool. And I think it's one of those things as practitioners of elections, it's interesting to see what they do that we could kind of pull into it. And so I sort of recommend anybody follow a Quebec election. I also think it's more professional. I think that we rely a lot on amateurs in Western Canada, especially, uh, even in Quebec, even in Ontario. But in yeah. Quebec, there's a there's a history of pol- of professional political representatives, and they do better work. They they understand um, the value of certain uh, tactics and what they're doing, um, and they put money into those tactics. Those posters that you're referring, if anybody hasn't seen uh, the images of the posters that are up. Uh, throughout Quebec, and they went up like the day after the election was called. Like it was, and they go on lamp posts. They go in different locations than when than we put them. Um, but they are gorgeous, gorgeous ads. They 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 jump out at you. You can see them. Um, they've got a professional quality. I know that right. I'm working in Surrey right now, and uh, this the opposition signs came out this week. Um, they're fucking horrible. Like they are some of the worst signs. <laughs> I mean, you're I not you're not an unbiased uh, tell you advisor. What, tell you what, Corey, one. people can yeah. look up Surrey Sur, uh, Surrey Connect, <laughs> Surrey Connect. Uh, you look up Surrey Connect and look for their signs online, and then compare them to any Quebec political party. Don't compare them to the the group I'm running. Instead, look at any Quebec party and tell me which is better. You can put that on the Twitter feed right now or in the. Uh, do we have comments on these things. We have. Are we broadcasting? Uh, is they like the YouTube thing? If if the, you're the a, YouTube, you're thing. a patron at at ten dollars a month. You can you can do that. Yeah, you can watch this yeah. thing live. Watch this shit show unfold in real time. It's spectacular. who wouldn't want to do that? Who would only ten dollars a month? Uh, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Well, look. I mean, it's obviously something that matters a little bit more in Quebec. I'll tell you, any almost any campaign I've seen outside of Quebec would be laughed out of the field. If they yeah. looked as unpolished and unprofessional relative to the Quebec alternatives here. I mean, you look at the logos of their major parties. Four of the five best logos in the country, not that logos matter at all, but you can tell they invest in that. They think about these things. They do these things. But, they're, you know, it's not just the aesthetics that I get kind of captured by the Quebec election. I, I should say, like, I'm not even sure it would necessarily work in the rest of Canada because it would be seen as putting too much money, a little too polished, all of that. But the other reason to really pay attention to the Quebec election is the narratives there are so different than the narratives in the rest of Canada. And I, you know, we we talk about it's not just a language barrier. I think it's an interest barrier. People just don't pay enough attention to it. It's very easy to see what's going on in the Quebec election. But the things that are issues in Quebec, I think it it's important for us as Canadians to just sort of inform ourselves on them and the way people talk about them. And and these parallel tracks that I think would shock a lot of English Canadians because there are assumptions built into the way Quebec goes through an election and the way its leaders talk about Quebec's place in Canada that I don't think align with when I have conversations with people outside of Quebec, how they see Quebec. I'll give you a perfect example from today. Is it, so they're, they're um, you know, on the campaign hustings, they're talking about immigration. And a lot of people will know that Quebec works with the federal government and sets its own immigration quotas, a little bit different from the rest of Canada. And uh, currently, I think it's 50,000. And the Party Quebecois wants to make that less, about 30,000, I think. And the Liberals want to make that about 70,000. And they announced some things about getting 
immigrants who don't have as much French language capacities into rural Quebec, like outside of the major cities and ways that they can support them. So interesting enough that that's a, an argument and a conversation. Don't think that's super shocking to people outside of Quebec, that that would be part of the conversation. But one of the threads there is Legault, who's at the 50,000, says, oh, we just keep it at 50,000. We don't want to expand it. Uh, knowing that Canada-wide, we are really increasing the amount of immigrants that come in. Conversation came up, well, won't that mean relatively Quebec has fewer people than the rest of Canada? Uh, you know, For a long time, Quebec was a quarter of the population that slid south of that. You may have caught some threads about like the distribution of seats and you know Quebec getting more seats and why would they get more seats with population? Well, Legault's answer was effectively, yeah, but I think because we're a nation, as everyone sort of decided, you know, you th remember all of the federal parties saying that I think generally people will agree our distinct situation means we should always have a quarter of the seats in Canada. And we just kind of like moved on with it. How many Canadians outside of Quebec would agree with that? observation. Yeah. I mean, that that feels fundamentally offside of my view of, of what a democracy in yeah. Canada should be. Yeah. Uh, but these things collapse into our federal politics all of the time. Uh, when Whenever we do a seat redistribution, when we talk about things like Quebec being a nation, I just think more Canadians should be watching narratives that go on in Quebec, inform themselves of them. Um, because otherwise, we just it's like we're talking two different languages when these things become issues at the national scene. Well, quite literally. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is yeah, the challenge yeah, because, um, you know, it used to be that you could kind of get away with saying one thing in Quebec and another thing in Alberta and another thing in Saskatchewan. And no one would know. But today's world, um, you know, the media is such that everybody, you know, no one has their own local reporters to throw into these into these elections. They're getting national feeds. Those national feeds are picking up what's going on in Quebec and and kind of throwing it all together for us. And so we're seeing, you know, Quebec politics is national politics in the same fashion that we're seeing Alberta politics become national politics you know, or British Columbia politics become national politics. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It is just uh, something that we should be aware of. And um, the ignorance that is presented, uh, because I don't want it to be that way, right? I don't want Quebec to have a quarter of the seats, um, well, just because you don't want them to have quarter seats isn't going to change the fact that this has basically been decided now. This is not something that we're really going back and having a big conversation in our society about whether or not Quebec is overserved by our uh, by our system. Uh, I mean, we already know that Prince Edward Island is. I mean, if anybody wants to get upset about there being a province that has too many too many seats for its population. Well, yeah. Prince Edward Island stands as the worst. It has four seats and a, a roughly <laughs> 200,000 people. That's Not twice even. as many seats as they deserve, but that's the nature of our confederation. Um, so that's, you know, uh, we tend to get really angry with Quebec, right? Quebec gets so much uh, of our uh, equalization funding. Well, not really. Not when you compare them to Manitoba. Not when you compare them to, you know, again, Prince Edward Island, uh, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Uh, Quebec gets less per capita than any of those provinces, um, but they get more money because they happen to have a much larger population. But we're Over we're so ignorant. People. We're so ignorant, right? We we choose not to know these things uh, because it doesn't fit our narrative. And I think in Alberta, we've been especially bad because uh, Ralph Klein started our narrative of poor Alberta, and uh, we've jumped right on it. Well, look, I mean, I think ignorant is technically the right word, but it, it has this kind of charge to it. Um, we don't fundamentally 
share common views of how this country is organized, I, I think is for sure the case. I mean, that's always been sort of the case. But at this point, talk about like a, a drift in this notion of what is Canada, right? You think about what the Alberta view of that is. Think about the Quebec view about that. Think about Ontario. Think about the Maritimes. Yeah. It is is a big problem. I mean, we talked about this in a different context months ago, but one of the most important things you need to do in a meeting at work is when you think that people are just sort of avoiding the hard question to get out of it and, you know, not have that difficult conversation in the meeting is force that difficult conversation because all you're doing otherwise is kicking it down the field and making it worse. I think our federal politicians do a lot of this kicking it down the field, not having the hard conversation thing not really talking to Canadians about, okay, well, are we going to say Quebec always has a quarter of the seats? I mean, nobody, nobody really wants to have that conversation because it's awkward no matter where you land on it. So, you know, just things to watch, good election to watch. You'll see some nice designs. You'll see some different issues. And uh, ultimately, I think it strengthens the country if we care about what goes on in other provinces. Yeah, I think so. And, um, you know, I think that it's not just Quebec that we're kicking the kicking the tire down the road on, right? I think that we have a uh, significant issue uh, with First Nations. Um, Lord knows everybody's thinking right now of, of the massacre that's just occurred um, in Saskatchewan and, and the issues that are surrounding that. We don't we don't have any information at this stage that, that would certainly enable us to be uh, uh, thoughtful commentators, except to say that um, we continue to have significant issues. And uh, as long as we continue to push them down the road, we're not going to find our we're not going to find any solutions. Um, I hope it doesn't take crisis to get us there, but our, our, our history has been, has been that it takes crisis to get us to the place where we start solving anything. Yeah. We got super bad attention spans. And, uh, on that note, uh, I want to change the topic because, you know, Oh, well we just did how many minutes on that? I mean, (laughs) like that was 10 minutes on Quebec. That's pretty good. That feels like Zane would have made it 25. I just want you to know. Yeah, Zane would have taken. I hold that against you. Yeah, yeah, he'd say interesting. Expand on that. Uh, He would throw in some sort of random thing. It would probably be good, but um, no, it would be a better show. Let's be clear. Yeah, you get what you get here. Yeah. So listen, almost from the opposite of that one view of Canada in Quebec, and maybe not diametrically opposed, but just very different to back here in Alberta and the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Danielle Smith is now saying this is so for anyone not paying attention. Bless you for not paying attention if you aren't, especially if you know, you're know you outside of the province. Um, thank you, because I just hate that people just think about these things when they think about Alberta. But uh, Danielle Smith, when she launched her campaigns, talked about the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Uh, it has always been somewhat ill-defined, but certainly the impression that was left in the early days was that this was going to be ways that we can reject federal authority. Constitutional scholars let their hair on fire. A lot of people said that's you know downright illegal. It's basically sedition. What in the world are you doing? This, this is how the country works. Um, and I argued, I think, last kind of Patreon episode that I think she's sort of trying to walk that back and create like a more milquetoast version of this. But, you know, the hits keep coming to her on this at the debate, which we can talk about or not, that the UCP had last week. Yeah. Um, she didn't look that comfortable. His comment in the uh, in the old YouTube chat here, which is totally right. Like Daniel Smith's facial expressions were like disdain, disgust and rage is how it's described uh, by Jane Stewart. 
who could disagree, right? And we got to see them, by the way, all the time because she was right there behind on the camera whenever somebody was yeah. like at the lectern there. Um, but I guess one of the things that occurred was she took heat, although not necessarily as much volume of time. And she is basically committed at this point that she's going to release the language of the Alberta Sovereignty Act. I think tomorrow. That's yeah. exciting, I guess. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, it's really weird. Most of the time we're able to get away with presenting a policy idea and keeping it very vague um, because the, poli- the vaguer the idea, the better the policy idea is. Uh, when we start getting into the details, it generally gets worse uh, because you have to balance things off. You have to pay for things. You have to make decisions that are actually quite hard. When you're in the midst of um, you know, just saying it in, in the world of politics, you get to say things very vaguely. You get to say, this is what we're going to do, and uh, it's going to be implemented very easily. Um, you know, oftentimes that's not the case. Uh, oftentimes we, uh, wind up kind of bottled up, bottled up in that. And I think that this is where Danielle Smith is, has really tried to create a problem for her or where she has created a problem for herself because she has said, essentially, we can do the Alberta Sovereignty Act because look at everything that Quebec gets away with. Well, hang on here because Quebec doesn't get away with anything that hasn't been negotiated with the federal government and isn't actually something that is legal. Um, They don't simply ignore the immigration laws. They have, in fact, negotiated how many immigrants they get to to bring in. They have negotiated that they will collect income tax. They have negotiated certain things that are their own privilege because they have decided to take that privilege from the federal government. It's not not 100% correct. So um, there are things like pensions, which actually the Constitution says are provincial responsibilities. And so, yeah, I mean, you could create an Alberta pension plan if you wanted to. Sure. Sure you, you could. You could absolutely collect your own income taxes. Don't know why you'd want to bother. In Quebec, you basically just have to fill out forms twice. That's not very fun. I know the software does it all for us these days, but it's still pretty pretty stupid and it's pretty expensive because the provincial government has to run it too. Quebec has been trying to negotiate that they can collect federal taxes as well. The federal government's basically said, good fucking luck with that. Why in the world would we let you do that? <laughs> Um, and Alberta seems to think because Quebec has mused about it and been told no, that this should be Alberta's right too. all very strange things. But this is the fundamental difference. Like people hand wave and they're like, oh, Quebec does this. Oh, BC doesn't uh, do the drug law stuff. Now, to your point, Stephen, BC negotiated with the federal government to, to, uh, you know, approach federal drug laws a little bit different. Uh, What Alberta, what the Alberta Sovereignty Act has, you know, what's been implied about it is, we are going to have police officers in Alberta refusing to enforce federal law. We are going to essentially stop working with the federal government if we don't like what they're doing. Just essentially try to nullify federal jurisdiction because the, you know, the officers and the infrastructure and the apparatus and the courts and a lot of that runs through the provincial government. No province is doing that right now. All super fucking illegal uh, and deeply unconstitutional. And uh, yet this seems to be a power or it's been implied that this is what the Alberta Sovereignty Act will be. Now, tomorrow, who knows? And so to your point, uh, Daniel Smith has been kind of pushed off of the vagaries and now is going to be giving us some specific language on what this act is. It's going to be interesting because either it's not going to mollify the constitutional scholars and the lawyers who say, well, this is illegal and will be shut down by the courts in seconds. Or it's going to disappoint her hardcore supporters. Like threading the needle to not one of those two outcomes seems almost impossible to me. Yeah, I think it is impossible. And I think that it's also going to be impossible because 
the myths that exist about Quebec, the myths that exist, you know, uh, around equalization, right? We pay into equalization, says, uh, says every Albertan ever. Okay, show me the check. Show me, show me where we actually paid into equalization because I paid into it and you paid into it because we'd make more money than the average person in Quebec, right? If you want to have equalization come to Alberta, it's not a problem. All we have to do is wait for the oil and gas world to change. We already, see, we already saw that a couple of years ago during the pandemic. Um, if you don't want, uh, you know, to, to be paying into this just, or, or, just be, or to be giving money away, just wait money. for your economy to bust. Um, because that's what happened in Quebec. You know, you've pointed out on Twitter a bunch of times, Corey, how major industry, the banks specifically, took the uncertainty that existed with uh, the sovereignty movement in Quebec and used that as a reason and rationale to get the fuck out of town. There's yeah. all kinds of reasons to get out of Calgary and Edmonton right now. Um, all kinds of reasons to come and stay in Calgary and Edmonton right now as well. But if you start messing around with independence and sovereignty, we will lose more than we get. We will lose more than come. Uh, certainly. Yeah. That is just so an like, absolute certainty. I, I repeat this every time I get the chance, because I think it's just something every Albertan needs to get into our brains and think about as we start flirting with some of these ideas. Uh, two things you really have to keep in mind. One, corporate taxes were actually lower in Quebec than Ontario when all of the banks decided to go to Ontario. So when we talk about that Alberta advantage and having the lowest corporate taxes, not going to matter if everybody's worried you might have one foot out of the door. Two, Montreal is to this day a much cooler city than Toronto. And yet people made the decision they were going to go to Toronto uh, because of that uncertainty and that hostility towards minority rights and this view that seemed very narrow all of a sudden. And listen, I'm not, I'm not shitting on Quebec. Quebec's a fascinating province. See earlier comments about you should follow their provincial election. Deep-seated anxieties about being eight and a half million people in a sea of hundreds of millions of English speakers. And you can kind of understand that. You can kind of understand some of the defenses of the French language they've put up. You might not agree with them. Certainly, I have serious, serious issues with the way they've approached religious minorities um, in, in Quebec. I'm, I'm downright, you know, horrified by it. But um, when those things, when you go kind of to the, and we're thinking about leaving, that's it. Like people are not interested in that, especially these financial institutions, especially big corporations where, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to spreadsheets. It comes down to what's, you know, I had a finance professor, growth is good and risk is rotten was what he always said, right? <laughs> well, this is pretty fucking rotten place if you're going to start throwing around these ideas of, um, uh, of potentially leaving the the country or even fundamentally changing your relationship with the country. Yeah, I think that it's it's ridiculous. And on top of that, I mean, I've never I mean, you raise you're raising children, I'm raising children. The first thing your you children try and are do raised, with, my friend, they're done. Well, they're, I don't know. They still come around for money. I don't understand it. Um <laughs> I I've made mistakes. I will concede that point, but here's the thing. The 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 thing that we all try and avoid doing is raising spoiled brats. And we are the spoiled brats in this story. We are the ones who come across like uh, the children that just expect more because of our nature and our upbringing. We deserve more because we're Alberta. And there's just, there's just no evidence that that is true. Um, there's no evidence that any province or anybody isn't working as hard as we are. Um, it's just we happen to be blessed to be born on a, 
on a windfall of oil uh, and a windfall of oil, frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that are, isn't going to be there much longer. Uh, sure, hey. there'll be lots of oil, but it's not going to be used the same. So let's pick up on that randomness point here, because, of course, on September 1st, it was Alberta, Alberta Day. Day. We yeah. all love Alberta Day. It is the most important holiday on the calendar. Now, yeah. Not a stat. Didn't exist two months ago. Set those things aside for a minute. One of the things I was thinking about on Alberta Day, a day when we we obviously do deep dives into the history of our province, you know, the, the rich tapestry that is Alberta. Yeah, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah, clearly. There was, uh, you know... Um, a bunch of different ways they could have split up the prairies, uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan going into the east or the western side of Manitoba. And one of the ideas was they would create, instead of provinces that go north-south, east-west. So there'd be one province and then another province stacked on top. And you could imagine if they had gone with that, that that's the province where all of the oil and gas would be. Yeah. And I kind of think like that was just... Laurier's idea. He had a whim. And all of a sudden, the provinces are going north-south. But there is a parallel universe where Calgary doesn't have any of that oil and gas revenue. None of that oil and gas revenue. And then how do we think about these things? I mean, like we pat ourselves on the back. We throw our arms out doing it because of borders and the Constitution and where it puts resource revenue. And that's almost my second point. There could be a universe where the resource revenue stayed federally, right? God, I think this would be a better country for it. I kind of wish it had happened. But um yeah, you know, it's these things are not because of clever management or planning. These are accidents of history that have landed our asses in butter. And I, you know, I don't think that Albertans should be looked down upon. And I do think that the rest of the country can be pretty, pretty quick to hand wave away some of the things that Alberta does. But, um, you know, it is an economic engine of this country. But, um, you know, Let's not let's not pretend that's because of uh, of our you know unique unalloyed brilliance. I think that's a bit much. So talk I know to that's me, not then. a very Alberta Day thought. No, you and I would have been kicked out of the Alberta Day celebrations, but we've been kicked out of for <laughs> you know better places for less. Um, let me ask you this, Corey: What about yeah. the poli- What about Danielle's politics then of using this issue, using the 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 you know the woe is me Alberta plight? as the primary issue for her election campaign. Does it have legs? Is it something that that we should be applauding her for, for at least recognizing a winning strategy? Um, so it's, I mean, that depends on your time frame, right? We we talk about this a lot in the context of leaderships, is you got to win the leadership before you can go to a general. You got to win the general before you can govern. And so there's kind of this stepwise thing, and you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. And look, if I want to be charitable, she has observed that there is this thing, these myths, plus these legitimate grievances sprinkled in, although I think that myth outweighs it eight eight to two kind of situation, and has said, I can make a winning coalition out of that. She's going out there and she's trying and she's doing these things and remains to be seen whether it'll work. Some suggestion it it very well could. But um, yeah, I mean... It's not the craziest strategy to try to win, but like, let's broaden our time frame a bit. This stuff, I said this last episode, but it was like a Patreon one. So let me say it for the whole world here. This, this is not mainstream shit in Alberta. Like if you're watching this and you're in Ontario, you're in Quebec, you're in BC and you're saying, what the fuck is Alberta doing? We're not, we're not. 
you know, this is towards a very small group of Albertans. Ultimately, what, 120,000 people have bought memberships in the UCP? Yeah. Out of a province of four and a half million. Yeah. So this is not the majority of Albertans. And in fact, in all of the recent polls, as has been the case for most of the last couple of years, the NDP are leading. This is not popular opinions here. And so broaden that horizon and start talking about a general election. Hell, start talking about the day after you win when half your caucus might have problems with you because they think this is an illegal approach, right? Well, on that horizon, this might be very bad strategy. This might have painted her entirely into a corner and destined the, uh, you know, the Danielle Smith premiership to early death. That's very possible uh, because you have taken things that are not even mainstream in your caucus. You know, maybe you get your party on board, but your caucus doesn't like it. A couple of them might bolt right away. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got this right wing rump. You've got to decide either to do the last six months of your term with uh, you know, a new right wing party in the legislature giving you the gears the entire time or call a snap election. Neither seems like a particularly good idea because we're all going to have that terrible taste of this UCP election where there's this crazy bidding war of who can say the most stridently conservative things, the most extreme things, you're going to get crushed in that election if you go forward. Uh, you know, the NDP are already leading in the polls. And if you go into it in that context, you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, you end up in the spring in the same boat. And now there's a right wing alternative that's taking 15% of the vote. You're probably going to get crushed there too. I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And fundamentally, you are damned because of this very short-sighted strategy that you took. Not you know, saying it, it, it's impossible, by the way, for her to not just win all of these things, but she is really raising the difficulty level for herself going forward. Well, and she has a history of not being able to manage a caucus, right? Like she had That's true too. a terrible time with the Wild Rose Caucus. Now, one could argue that that was an unmanageable caucus, but let's look at who she's going into. I mean, if Jason Kenney can put yeah, yeah. together I mean, this caucus- Because this caucus and, is so, yeah- <laughs> yeah, and and not be able to manage it. I mean, sainted Jason Kenny because he was basically the sainted Jason Kenny. Um, you know, he he really started with all the advantages and was undone by one issue, um, and, and that issue was the pandemic. But all also, you know, the the, the promise of jobs. Everything's going to return. Everything's going to be fine. I'll tell you something. We're going through a boom right now. We have we're receiving more revenue in royalties right now than used to exist in the entire. Uh, Heritage Savings Trust Fund. You know the whole yep. trust fund in one year, we've one got year. those kind of it, those kind of royalties. Just to give people, yes. So the streets are in fact paved with gold, except people went to find their own individual gold, and there wasn't any. There is no individual gold in this particular um, boom. So you know, there's a lot of uh, concerned people, people who are taking jobs that. They may feel we're are beneath them, but they have to have them in order to to make ends meet. And a lot of other people that want to go back to work doing what they did, uh, that have kind of fallen off the the employment radar because those jobs don't exist anymore. Well, that's a great point. I mean, this is this seems to be cash out time for the oil industry. Uh, there is this thing in Alberta we've talked about in the past called payout, where once you have paid back the capital costs of building your major oil sands project, then you pay a higher rate of royalty and it, like a lot higher. It goes from like one to 4% to 40%, 30 to 46 40. I can't in even... most cases. There you 40... go. It's and unreal. It's, it's like a significantly different. Now, one of them is, you know, they're on different denominators, but doesn't matter. Point being way more money all of a sudden flooding in the door. And payout has been projected since, well, I don't know what, the mid 2000s because- Every year. Every year, for sure. Since 2000. 
And what the oil and gas companies have historically done is pushed off payout by creating new capital projects, expanding these things. And that construction, that's really where the jobs have come from in oil and gas. But they're not doing that anymore. So they've all hit payout. They're all deciding to take these record windfalls, uh, which is also creating record revenue for the government of Alberta. And um, you're not seeing the jobs return in the same way. And so the, the provincial government having record surpluses, not quite record surpluses, I don't think, but record revenues coming in from uh, from natural resources and trailing in the polls. Like it, it takes a special amount of something to be losing as a conservative government in Alberta with $13 billion surpluses. Like I just, just sit here and process that, you know, your government, which is the natural predisposition of your province by all accounts, is running over $10 billion surpluses. And you're like, no, nah, fuck it. I, I'm not I'm not feeling that one. That's not working for me. And the majority of people are somewhere else. That's wild. And uh, I think it should, if anything, underline just how precarious the UCP's position has been. But to your original point with Danielle Smith and her actions here and like this Alberta Sovereignty Act conversation and and this grievance-laden, you know, language that I think ultimately was part of the the you know the comeuppance of Jason Kenney too, right? Yeah. That's really tough. Like all of a sudden, mainstream Albertans are saying, you might be delivering on the budget, but you're not really delivering anything else for us here. And for the longest time in Alberta, we confused budget and the economy. Right? We were running a surplus. It meant we were in the good times, meant there were jobs. But that seems to have broken in the past couple of years. Well, that we no was 100%. It, the same way. it was 100% because when we were making, when we had revenues that were uh, super high, we had super high employment because it wasn't just one guy, you know, I'm going to use hyperbole here, one guy in the oil sands turning the tap on, uh, which is, you know, in situ production. Once, Basically. The, once the plant yeah. is built, <laughs> once the plant is built, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, it's just not the same intensity of production that we would have, that we would see in, uh, you know, in old school, um, a traditional oil and gas work, you know, where you where you're, you're dumping down the the wells. You you've got the oil and gas workers doing all kinds of different things. That just doesn't exist. Does not exist right now. So, what are you going to do um, when employment? I mean, employment's high right now too. But I think That's that employment's point, high different. because we're not tracking everybody. Because a lot of people have dropped off the employment. They, they've retired early because you made so much money, but your retirement doesn't look the way you wanted it to look. I think I, I know a number of people in that position right now, and uh, there's still there's a lot of anger from those folks. They well, go look, back if they could. There's a fundamental anxiety too, which is might my job go away? Will my kids have jobs? And people are looking to the government to find some solutions. And you know, mired in all of this is you know a, a government taking socially unpopular decisions. I mean, Albertans. Are, there are social conservatives in Alberta, especially if you get outside of the major cities. Don't don't misunderstand me, but there is like a serious libertarian conservative bent too, which is not necessarily how things have been governed for the last bit. So it's very interesting uh, to sort of see the government deal with those pressures, especially going into. I still think there's probably going to be a fall election. I think it for different reasons now, but I think there's going to be a fall election. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a fall election. I think that there's going to be a spring election, but it's going to be a spring election of tatters. Um, I'm not sure that we'll see a mass crossing of the floor. 
Um, no, personally, I mean, I'd love to see I, a mask. I just have stopped believing those things ever. We because we, <laughs> yeah. we because we can't because it's just too much fun. Well, but they um, no no no. I mean, like for me, it's it's because we have heard like people have threatened this for years. We never see it materialize. We never see it. People talk tough, and then they find you know they find political religion the minute their job actually depends on it. And I just ultimately think they they're not inclined to leave. Um, well, I think that the the leaving just looks different. They're going so here's to leave why I think, by resignation. Right? Here's why they're I going think to leave a, that way. Here's why I think there's a fall election. Okay. Originally, I thought this this could be a relatively calm leadership race. Travis Taves wins before people sort of realize his social conservative end, which is outside of the mainstream, certainly of the cities. And you need at least one of the cities to win, right? You just go. And you're like, hey, look at me. I'm the guy who brought you a huge surplus. Uh, I, I seem pretty sensible. I seem like your accountant because I am an accountant. I'm going to give you boring government and God, Albertans are thirsty for that, right? And so I thought there'd be a fall election. Uh, now it's not looking so much like Taves is going to win. I still think he could win. And I actually think people are underestimating his chances. You know, I would I would not, if somebody said even money, who's going to win, I would probably have to pick Danielle Smith. But yeah. if you wouldn't have to give me much odds for me to take Travis Taves still. Uh, but now I think because of the bidding war and all of the things people have had to do to try to buy currency with the right of the UCP, Travis Taves is probably the guy who's going to try to run it out into spring and you know have six months of governing if he wins. But Daniel Smith has uh, a different problem. And I don't know, at our live show, I said, if Danielle Smith wins, she's going to take that six months because she's actually quite a lovely human being. And you know people will sort of forget about the the, the wild policy and just be like, yeah, she's okay. Right. And like she she comes off as somewhat affable. And so she'd take the six months. But my thinking there has been her policies have been so extreme. I do think that she's going to lose a couple of MLAs. I don't think mass floor crossings dropping government. And at that point, you just got to go. I, I already said this, but you don't want those people having oxygen in the in the legislature. So you just go and you hope that you can kind of clean it up. while everybody is caught with their pants down. Um. So so that's where I sort of land on this right now. But one of the things that has sort of thrown a monkey wrench into all of this, can I say? Jason Kenney is still governing like he's the premier with full mandate. I know. It's ridiculous. It's crazy, isn't it? He, 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 he's just like out there doing the things that he wants to do. Even the Alberta Day thing. You know, who the fuck cares? But, you know... That's not his job oh, to do that. It's, it's more than that. He's supposed to be the caretaker. Yeah, there's he's, way more than that. Hey, huge multi-billion dollar surplus. Let me tell you how we're going to spend it. He doesn't want to leave that for the person who's going to be premier in a month. I mean, that's it's, wild. It's, and so he doesn't want to leave. Oh, but their first step is going to be either they acquiesce to that and it all goes into like debt repayment and all of that random you know, spending or their first act will be walking back debt repayment. Why? Why would you not say we're putting a pin in this? We've got a good, healthy surplus. There's lots of things the the you know the party is going through right now and imagining an exercise about what could be. I'm sure the next premier is going to have things to say about this. Instead, he's rat fucking them. It almost doesn't matter who wins. He's rat fucking them. Oh, well, I think he's now not rat fucking Taves because I think that is the action. That's uh, probably what Taves wants to do. Yeah. yeah. So you know, Taves would do this. He's not, so he's doing it. Uh, Danielle. Um, I'm not really sure what she would do with a large surplus. It doesn't feel to me like she's the invest in humanity type of person right now. Um, you know, I mean, unless we all need some sort of mass ivermectin 
injections or something like that. I don't see her really reaching deep to spend the money. Um, so, you know, for, I mean, for me, the, the fall election um, makes too much sense for it to actually happen. Oh. <laughs> and and by, by that, I mean, I think that uh, I don't think the end. I, mean, I think the NDP are polling well, but I don't think the NDP are in an election can do the election well. And what I mean is I'm looking at a number of different sets of data and that's those sets of data. Best case for the NDP right now is 44 to 43. Absolute win everything that they can be competitive in. And that's, you know, that so favors you, the, the UCP so much. You and I disagree on that. We've had this conversation off mic. Uh, Carter sees a much narrower path to victory for the NDP. I'm looking than at I the do. numbers. You're looking at yourself I'm thinking I'm always numbers. right. And, and well, I'm always right. To be fair to me, no, I am always really. right. No, Here's no. the thing. I think you, I think you're underestimating the NDP's strength in Calgary and what that will translate into. I get it. I understand. I'm not I'm not discounting for a minute that the NDP don't just need to get one point more than the UCP in the popular vote province wide. They're going to have to win by five points here or more. But I th- but I think that it's possible. I think the challenge though is the regionalization of Calgary, right? If Calgary operated as a single Calgary unit then I think you're right. But I think that there are divisions. Glenmore Trail is a division. And, you know, that division is going to be super duper hard for um, for Rachel Notley to get past. I mean, she barely speaks Northwest Calgary, let alone South Calgary. I mean, I don't Come speak on. South Calgary. Listen. South Calgary. South Calgary is the whitest area in Calgary. It has the least racial diversity. It has the least... Uh, socioeconomic diversity. It is a uni- uni- more uniform group, and they are a far more right-wing group. They tend... Uh, don't shake your head at me. You're wrong. How many liberal you're... seats did you win in South Calgary? Oh, bloody never. But I, I know. mean, come Just on. That's like there. the... But there are seats in South Calgary. Oh, this is ridiculous. For starters, I do speak South Calgary. I grew up in South Calgary. Oh, sure. I thought you grew up uh, in Northeast Calgary. What happened there? Mm, they no, used I to live... speak Northeast I, you know what? I, I am in all time zones, baby. I work in the Northwest. I live in the Northeast. I grew up in the Southwest. Oh, Southeast, Southeast, a little different. Southeast is what I'm talking about. You're wrong. If you look at Calgary, Glenmore, it is actually one of the more compact ridings in the city of Calgary. Like we're, we're going to lose people here, but like, it's one of the more compact ridings in the city of Calgary. It has more diversity of housing and more socioeconomic diversity than you think. There are seats like that, that are available to the NDP. I'm not saying they're going to win Calgary, Glenmore. My point is you're wrong, and I would probably just leave that there. But yeah, yeah, I'll I tell mean, you like this. Southeast Calgary, yeah, not a lot of not a lot North, of opportunity for the NDP. Cal- Calgary Glenmore is in the must win group in the forty. I don't know if it is. It is. It it's is. in the. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's in the forty four. <laughs> you're I'm so telling in the weeds. you. I am. Okay, listen up. I'm right. You're wrong. Let's move on. We'll have to unpack this. When we have some adult supervision, when Zane's back, when Zane's I want to talk about the NDP's path to victory uh, at, at some future point here. I think it is wider than you do, my friend, but we, we can talk about that. 43. So Ready we down. got a premier who is still governing like mad. And this leads me pretty nicely into that must drive the leadership candidates crazy. Certainly Smith. Smith has said as much. 
but Smith called out the premier for weighing in on the Alberta Sovereignty Act and its constitutionality. And here we come. And th- we can oh. only basically talk about this without the first son here. Yeah, because the first the son. LG, you know. yeah. The LG making the comments. So Alberta's uh, lieutenant governor said effectively, well, I'd look at the constitutionality of it. And if it wasn't constitutional, I wouldn't sign it. Lots of commentary about whether that was appropriate or not. You know, most, I think I said before, um, some governments will push the the limit on what is a constitutional bill, right? Uh, and, and ultimately, um, LGs have signed uh, bills that have been found to be unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. The difference is that most of those bills aren't just unconstitutional on their face, right? They are not direct <laughs> contradictions of federal law and uh, the Constitution of, of Canada. So I, I find, I mean, I think that we said in, in a podcast uh, with the first son um, that we thought that this was actually not necessarily a bad thing uh, for her to take this type of a position. Uh, it's not without precedent. Um, in Alberta, we, we in Alberta alone, we've seen this three, we, before uh, when the um, Socreds tried to pass some of their crazy legislation in the 1930s. Um, and we've seen it on a worldwide basis as well. Is this something that should be common practice? Absolutely not. But should the Queen's representative knowingly, knowingly being a key word here, knowingly sign legislation that is blatantly offside with the constitution of the country? I, I, I don't think they should. I think that that and saying so um, is entirely politically ex- correct and expedient. I think it's the right thing, because then the then the government has to take a look and pass legislation uh, that they should be passing anyways, because they have their own constitutional experts who are there to make sure that the legislation is, in fact, constitutional. And uh, they should be passing legislation that fits into the box, at least a little bit. OK, I got a couple of thoughts on that. You, you're about to send me down a rabbit hole, but I think it's an important one because you're acting as though. There has never been a bill recently passed that was grossly and on its face unconstitutional. And there's one thing that I really, really did not like from my time in government. I'm just going to throw it out there. And it was the turn off the taps legislation from the NDP government, which said effectively, if used, it could cut off supply to to British Columbia of, of natural resources. And the reason I didn't like it is because it was on its face, grossly unconstitutional. Now, the, the, you know, the Department of Justice, they, they could kind of tap dance around and suggest, well, maybe not here or maybe not there. Or if we did this same kind of Alberta Sovereignty Act nonsense going on. Can I read to you from no turn off the taps legislation? Got a pretty good sense of what that means. Oh, I know. Passed by the NDP. Oh, yeah. Uh, given royal assent by the oh, UCP yeah. in like their first week. OK, 92A, Section 2. In each province, the legislature may make laws in relation to the export from the province to another part of Canada of the primary production from non-renewable natural resources and forestry resources in the province and the production from facilities in the province for the generation of electrical energy. But such laws may not authorize or provide for discrimination in prices or in supplies exported to another part of Canada. It is patently unconstitutional to turn off the taps in only one direction in this country. And yet, passed? given royal assent by an LG. This is not entirely new territory we have here. So, uh, you know, 
I would first make the observation that this is what happens when we start playing silly bugger with these things. And we should take the Constitution more seriously because it leads us to things like the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Yeah. Okay. It's my first point. Second one was it really, really interesting to me uh, what you said about like, you know, should these things be signaled? I actually don't have a huge problem with what she said, because I think in general. Okay, let me put it this way here. here, Let me try to find some words for you here. Um, The Alberta Sovereignty Act would be a constitutional crisis, right? You sort of agree with that? I believe so. I would I would rather have my constitutional crisis now before people vote and can make a different decision than after. I don't see any merit or utility in the LG being quiet on this until after. And then all of a sudden we're in a constitutional crisis. Plus, we have a bunch of people saying, I never would have voted for Danielle Smith if I thought that this was even a possibility. In some ways, I think that signaling is not too bad. Now, if it was done for political purposes, that's a challenge. But if it was done to clarify the environment in which we all operate, I'm okay with that. I probably still would have recommended that she was a little more broad and say things like the government or the the lieutenant governor always has to look at the constitutionality of a bill. We're in a constitutional monarchy. That means we're bound by the constitution and I am the monarch's representative. That's just like job number one here. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about any bill in particular, but of course, as an LG, it is my responsibility to ensure something is constitutional. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea. I mean, I like your phrasing on it. Uh, you know, there was a bit, you know, she she was caught a little bit off guard uh, by the question, I think, and 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 answered. I think she made the, the the rookie mistake of answering the question that was asked instead of answering the question that she should have she yeah. should have answered. I think that's um, exactly right. Yeah. You know, I mean, she had the she answer. had she said, you know, um, that's always the LG's responsibility. That you know that we look at the constitutionality of of every law. And, uh, you know, it, you know, blah, 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 the constitutional mar- monarchy and words you just said very well. I don't think we'd be having this hubble hubble You're looking for hubble Yeah, anyways, I don't think we'd You're be right. having this conversation the same way. So she she said the right, she did the right thing without saying the right thing. And I think that that just speaks more to... Uh, being relatively naive or new in in the political sphere and that's okay i think that that's absolutely fine for her to uh to make that minor mistake because i I agree with you the constitutional chaos should happen now in the election and don't think that this goes one way this doesn't just go one way with everybody saying well i'm not going to vote for danielle smith now because this is a constitutional crisis that the lg screwed there's a lot of people who are going to say, I'm voting for Danielle. Fuck the LG. Trudeau's appointed. I mean, we saw that. Oh, rebel. yeah, the rebel. Didn't we predict that headline in our, yeah. in our, you know? <laughs> we did. You, See, this is what you Ezra. get if you're like a patron, I think. I think it was on Patreon. I don't know. I don't know, but it was really good. Really insightful, as always. And yeah. uh, if you're not a patron, I don't even know how to talk to you. You it can is, get more it... shows like this one. <laughs> <laughs> Be still your heart, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't have a ton to say about it. It's going to be interesting to see it unfold. There there was no shortage of articles that came after. A lot of people very quick to say, oh, I don't think I would have done that. Uh, you know, I guess I am saying I don't think I would have done that, but I actually don't think it's as big of a deal. I think it's more in the delivery. And like I said, I'd rather have a constitutional crisis now when we can do something about like 
turning this train like this is the trolley problem almost but but one of the tracks has no bodies on it do you want to pull this switch or not right uh we've got the chance to do that now we will not have that chance after after some combination of the ucp leadership and perhaps a general election so let's just see where this thing lands and and fundamentally i think talk about the lowest of bars i'm not going to support laws that are illegal I don't know. Seems pretty fucking normal to me. But I think the point was the specificity was ill-advised. She should have just made a general point along those lines. Well, I think that that turn off the taps law, I think we'd actually, um, we were talking about it in in Redford's government, uh, even as early as I was there. And we were having a significant problem with the the technicality of the illegal (laughs) components of it. Um, But it's good political theater. And... I think that that's one of the differences with the Sovereignty Act. The Sovereignty Act is just too far for political theater. There's political theater and then there's political chaos. And if you don't know the difference between political theater and political chaos, I'm not sure that you should be running the the government. And I think that Danielle has moved from political theater to political chaos. That's my, my belief of where she is at this particular moment. Okay. Well, listen, um, how was your Alberta day? Let's wrap on that. Did you have a good time? Oh my God. I had a great time. I had a great time. As always, I, uh, I got drunk and went to the casino. Um, every I do, it's my Alberta day <laughs> ritual. And then on the way home from the casino, I went to the homeless shelter and threw money, uh, around in homage to our great premier, Ralph Klein. Um, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, what I did for Alberta day is I oh. tried to create my own currency and then when I wasn't allowed to have my own currency, I just took away everybody else's money who stopped me from having my own currency. What? That's another homage to a, another great premier. Another great premier that we just, you know, we celebrate. We celebrate we our diversity. We know? celebrate it by putting up statues of Winston Churchill. I mean, I already went and pissed on the ground that the statue is going to be on. So I really feel like I'm ahead. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh i'm gonna hit the intro music and uh see you all is that it how long was this don't we have more topics we're not even going to cover great britain okay that's fine. oh do you want to talk about great britain okay no, not like, really. I, hit I, outro, really... I hit the outro music but it didn't actually work so oh i didn't actually uh pay attention okay well do you know who won um yes but i can't remember her name <laughs> all right uh my name is Corey hogan with me I'm as Stephen always Carter. Oh no, Stephen Carter. Yeah, we gotta work yeah, on no, the intro. I, I don't know. Not very good at it. We should probably um, prep a little bit more. Um, we'll be back next week with Zane Velji to keep us in line. <laughs>